Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Hello ladies and gentlemen, this episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs. Providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high performance, innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off that shelf. And your host today is me, TC Gill, IT Labs Chief Talking Officer, CTO. And I'm speaking to you from the sunny UK, London, the big smoke, one of the very few truly international cities of the world. I love London. And in this episode, we're going to talk about getting a new, shiny, large-scale simulation tool for your business's toolbox, i.e. democratising supercomputing power that's easy to use, low cost and on tap. And our expert guest is going to share his part in that story. Let's greet our guest from San Francisco, USA. Welcome, David. Welcome to CTO Confessions. Um, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks, TC. Sure. Happy to be here. Um, so I am uh, a computer engineering nerd. Um, <laughs> I love uh, the uh, the endeavor of simulating the physics of the real world uh, using computer models and applying um, lots of fancy algorithms and math and lots of computer horsepower to um, running simulations that can be predictive and uh, show and explain what is going to happen to a device or some, you know, engineering or physics situation. Yeah. So that's that's been my career. Um, I uh, started out as a physicist and kind of a combination of physicist and engineer, and was just always fascinated with you know computer models and the math behind them and yeah algorithms yeah. and so on. So. I'm really happy with um, you know the work that I've been able to do and the work that I'm doing right now. Yeah. So really excited to to share that with you. Excellent. Yeah. So so you say you kind of come from a physics background. I mean that's quite an interesting one for a, a CTO to kind of evolve uh, from. Um, what what kind of physics was that? Um, so I, I actually started out uh, as a chemical engineer and nuclear engineering major. Um, I got really interested in the problem of nuclear waste disposal. Oh, wow. And what we were going to do about that problem. Uh, I actually studied that for my PhD. Um, that was the, uh, the emphasis of my, um, and focus of my PhD uh, exams and, and topics and so on. And at some point, um, that led me to the problem of fluid flow and predicting fluid flow, because one of the things that you worry about a lot when you think about nuclear waste disposal, you know, in an underground repository is that waste form being dissolved by yeah. uh, groundwater and being carried, you know, to the environment, to people um, where, you know, it could, it could cause harm. So I became actually fascinated with the science of um, fluid flow and fluid flow simulation. Right. I'd always loved, you know, sort of modeling and simulation and, um, you know, this sort of became uh, it, it became part of my awareness that this was a big unsolved problem, not just what was going to happen to nuclear waste, but the whole 
area of um, using a computer to solve fluid flow problems. Wow. And so that's called computational fluid dynamics. And, um, you know, there's a huge physics component to that. So uh, although I, I studied, you know, physics and engineering in my degree, they really led me to this very, you know, feel this field that's very rich in physics and engineering, which is computational fluid dynamics. And ultimately from there, um, you know, I got excited about both the technical and the business aspects of doing um, what we call computed, computer-aided engineering, CAE. Mm. Uh, a lot of, you know, one of the most important components of which is uh, computer simulations. And, uh, you know, ultimately I became fascinated with just the whole, the whole business and technology of uh, computer-aided engineering and, you know, ended up as a CTO at OnScale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of brings us on to this uh, this beautiful startup that you're kind of part of. Um, uh, I understand that quite recently you've raised quite a large uh, investment into your organization. Um, I, I, was it ten million? Yeah. So uh, we completed a Series A uh, about a year and a half ago. Um, that was a ten million dollar raise, and uh, we were able to use that to uh, you know hire a larger team and sure. you know really progress on, on our mission. Um, so, so the vision at OnScale is really to um, make a computer simulation work well and allow users to have a huge amount of compute power in a cost-effective way at their fingertips by leveraging what we think of as, as really a new technology stack, which is the cloud, and using um, the compute power available through the uh, cloud providers, the major cloud providers like AWS and Google Cloud and Azure. Um, but you know, rather than having to be a deep expert in um, you know, how to use those systems or you know, numerical algorithms or uh, you know, high performance computing, you know, make all that uh, highly accessible and usable yeah. to all the designers and engineers in the world that want to use computer simulation, um, but have faced a lot of challenges in doing so. Yeah. So that's kind of our big vision um, at, at OnScale. And, and I, think, I think what's special about OnScale is, um, you know, we were f uh, founded for that purpose. You know, that was the original goal um, from the start of the company, you know, two and a half years ago. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't like, um, you know, some of our competitors have been in business for a long time and they're trying to figure out how to, you know, how to migrate their, you know, their technology. They're trying to figure out if this is really the right vision. We're going into this knowing that this is the future of engineering, that this is the right vision. And, you know, that's our, our complete mission. It's not, uh, you know, sharing time and, and love with, you know, with other things that we're trying to do. Right. Okay. So just kind of taking a step back. Um, so obviously simulations have been going on for many years in the industry. And, um, and I, I've got this kind of image of these huge, massive wa uh, water cooled or whatever you, you know, uh, wine cooled uh, kind of supercomputers, you know, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Um, Great uh, idea. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so that's the kind of the existing kind of uh, infrastructure that's been used. Um, I, I, I mean, I imagine the costs for that are, are huge, and getting time on those machines is huge as well. 
Well, I mean, the cloud providers have done a great job of making the costs, um, you know, suitable to be able to conduct um, really, you know, high, high compute intensive studies yeah. uh, without, you know, necessarily, you know, like untenable amounts of money. Mm. So, you know, uh, if you look at the, uh, the costs of running on um, a supercomputer, you know, for example, on AWS, you know, depending on the type of machines that you're running, you know, it can be anywhere uh, in the range of, you know, five, 10, 15 cents uh, per, you know, what we call core hour. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you can get on a, on a hundred cores, right. You know, for an hour, um, for you like, you know, a couple of dollars, right. For wow. Yeah. So, um, you know, this, and this has really powered, you know, this, high performance computing revolution where there's just so many businesses leveraging um, the cloud and then able to do it cost effectively. Whether, you know, they're businesses that used to have their own high performance computing and have transitioned to cloud. Yeah. Um, but probably even more common than that so far is businesses that just wouldn't have had access. Um, and, you know, they, they're now running their applications on the cloud because it's cost effective and because they don't have to build their own massive IT mm. you know, infrastructure, that's all outsourced to the cloud provider. That's right. There's, there's huge business benefits to that. Yeah. So they've done a great job of making it cost effective. Yeah. I mean, it's quite impressive because uh, in my notes here, um, you know, the, the, the alternative would have been workstations, pretty high end workstations. I can imagine they're quite costly. Um, as you mentioned here, uh, um, cluster HPCs, uh, high, high, high performing computers. Uh, yeah. um, and, and then kind of obviously the infrastructure and hardware that sits to kind of bind that all together is pretty kind of colossal and that's all gone. You know, that, that's pretty much taken out of, uh, out of the, you know, which is, which is excellent. Um, and, uh, and, and as you say, you kind of mentioned the fact that you've kind of gone into the cloud. Are you kind of uh, cloud platform agnostic or is it a specific kind of um, platform that you use? Yeah, great question. You know, um, there are components of the of our platform. So we, we refer to our technology as a platform. Yeah. Um, we actually ha are both a platform, but we also have our own simulation solvers that run on our platform. Wow, and our platform uh, is uh, cloud agnostic in the sense that uh, we could run on any of the major cloud providers or even on private cloud. Yeah, uh, so that's something that you know we will uh, offer in the future. Uh, so for companies that uh, still need to have their own private HPC, and there's yeah. also all kinds of hybrid models. You know, you could be running on your private cloud until. You, need, you know, you run out of capacity and you need to burst to the public cloud. Yeah. There's also models where um, you have uh, people who have set up their own private areas on the public cloud. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we want to support all of that and we will support all of that. Yes. But, uh, you know, for now, we're really focused on yeah. people who want to run on the public cloud. Brilliant. I, yeah. I mean, I love that. The fact that you've kind of totally abstracted out that uh that part of um you know a big part of what you're trying to provide and also being able to kind of move between one or the other depending on price depending on convenience depending on privacy etc exactly. et yeah exactly uh you know you can imagine uh that the platform uh, has the different cloud providers you know competing essentially right you know yes you're constantly checking on the you know the pricing and and so on and uh you know sort of optimizing it for your customers so that you're able to 
yeah. charge them, um, you know, the least amount to get their job done. Yes. While you know maintaining uh, our you know our share, right, our profit margin. That's right. Um, so I think uh, you know that's that's getting to be more and more common. You know, we that's certainly not something that we've invented, um, but we we want to take advantage of of the potential to um, you know play on you know all the different cloud providers and use whichever one is going to be the best tool you know for the job at that at that moment. Yeah, that's, that's that's great. And and uh, kind of coming on to your, your end, your your kind of target client for this platform. Um, I imagine that you know these kind of heavy duty simulations would have been only used with larger enterprises um, in the past. So 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 who who are you targeting this towards now? Is it still those large enterprises? You know, we're really actually focused on the small to medium-sized businesses. Um, the reason is that the large enterprises tend to have their own high-performance computing clusters that they've been running on for a long time, and it's it's going to take time for them to, um, you know, realize the benefits of moving to the cloud. I mean, that's yes. not necessarily an easy process for them. They many of them at this point still don't see you know a big advantage to doing that and, and they may be right for their organization they may still be better off with their own um, HPC and uh, a lot of them really have um, sort of workflows and processes in place that mm. are very difficult to disrupt um, where we see actually the the highest near-term demand is with small businesses medium-sized businesses you know maybe independent consultants um, who have not uh, had just routine access to a supercomputer, but would really like to have that, mm. right? And so you've kind of had, you know, these these two different types of um, simulation user, these two different worlds. Mm. One is, you know, large enterprise, very high end, you know, they can afford to have the expensive software and run on a very expensive compute system. And, you know, that's been great for them. And then you have the small to medium size uh, companies that have not been able to make the investment necessary to have access to a supercomputer and also to buy the licenses you would need to the most expensive software yeah. to run very high end simulations on you know, massive computers. And what we wanna do is bring the high end capability to everybody to the small, medium-sized businesses. Yes. And um, the way we'll do that is with a, a pay-as-you-go model. Um, so, yes. you know, you can have access to, you know, the awesomest software and run on a huge supercomputer and only pay for, you know, the time that you're using it, right? You don't yes. have to make that upfront investment and have, you know, uh, the IT, the in-house IT expertise to manage that investment and manage those compute resources. You know, instead you're, you're really outsourcing it to uh, on scale to deal with all that stuff and paying us by the core hour. Yeah. So you really uh, only pay for what you use, you know, on demand when you need it. Beautiful. Uh, I think that's, that's the really exciting part is uh, providing access to high performance software on a supercomputer, but in a way that's cost effective and affordable for everybody. Yeah, you can, you can do a lot of simulation for you know a few hundred dollars. I mean that'll that'll buy you wow. you know a, a massive simulation sweep. Yeah, uh, 
Now, you, you, you know, if you want to be doing that um, constantly every, you know, every hour of every day, then yes, that gets to be expensive. But, you know, there's a lot of organizations that, you know, have projects. And at some point in the project, um, they, they want to do some design studies. Mm. And then maybe, you know, so maybe they need to, for like a week, you know, run a ton of stuff, right? And then they go to the next phase that involves manufacturing or, um, you know, other types of, of uh, parts of the process. And then, you know, maybe they need to do some verification, verification studies at the end after they've, you know, finalized the design. Or maybe once in a while they need to do some kind of um, failure testing, like why, why did the product fail? We need to understand that better mm. and run simulations to understand that. So, you know, um, we provide the flexibility to use simulation when you need it, as you need it, you yeah. know, with essentially no upfront uh, uh, investment yeah. in cost. That's right. I mean, it's kind of the title title of this podcast, the democratizing of kind of compute power. I mean, it really is that, isn't it? It's, it's uh, 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 creating a, uh, a highly accessible kind of uh, ability to kind of run stuff. I mean, when you talk about the price difference, uh, you know, you're talking about a few hundred dollars maybe to do a simulation. Uh, back in the day, that would have cost probably in the millions to kind of get that set up, you know, uh, or maybe even, you know, to kind of go to some specialist companies that provide this stuff, you know, uh, the cost would be pretty uh, heavy duty. I think one of the things I've just realized as you were talking there, David, I mean, I was kind of transfixed on the, the infrastructure and the, uh, the compute power, but there's also the simulation software, which is an expensive, uh, a very expensive kind of item. Um, that, uh, you know, I remember being at university myself and seeing some of the costs of the licenses for those. They were pretty incredible. Yeah. Is, that, is that something that you provide as part of your platform then as well? It is. And you're right. So, you know, the, the cost to buy into really high-end professional simulation software is generally hundreds of thousands of dollars. Wow. And you're right. You know, it wasn't that long ago that it, it could have been a million dollars or more to, to buy the compute power that you would need. Mm. Um, you know, to, to be able to run these things, you know, efficiently. Um, but yeah, you know, so, so we do provide our own simulation software. So we have uh, what's called a finite element analysis code, and yep. we also have um, some computational fluid dynamics software that uh, runs on our platform. But we really want it to also be a platform. So we want other independent software vendors, you know, ISVs, they're called. Mm to um, be able to leverage the on-scale platform. And the idea is that, um, you know, we will have a, like a standard developer kit that will allow an ISV to, um, you know, set up the user interface that's needed and kind of plug into our platform yeah. and, and then be able to, you know, set the pricing in the way that they think makes sense. And then users can come to on-scale and select which solver they want to run, right? Yeah. And it'll just work. and. Uh, They'll be able to set up their simulations, you know, run them, including uh, potentially large sweeps, all running simultaneously, and then you know, analyzing the results all in the cloud. Wow! And this isn't just a complete fantasy. We have two uh, companies that we're working with right now uh, that are partners that um, you know we will be providing their simulation software on the OnScale platform. Right now, you know, we work very closely with them while we. Um, you know, learn all the things that would be needed in order to make this, you know, very modular and very straightforward for an independent software vendor to be able to set up, you know, in a light touch way without a lot of, of, of help from us. 
Yeah. And so that's, you know, that's all stuff that we're, um, we consider a major target, uh, let's say for next year. Yes. Yeah. That's, um, again, I mean, I, what comes to mind is, is that I guess it's what um, Apple did with that kind of creating a, a platform that allowed people to build their applications on Tommy apps, you know, so simulation apps. Um, I, I noticed yeah. you kind of mentioned your uh, kind of fluid, your, your baby, you know, your uh, fluid That's dynamics, right. yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so, it, yeah, it kind of creates. So, again, the, the, the people that are specialized in these simulations don't need to worry about the infrastructure again. They don't need to worry about the uh, getting hold of the end customer, you know. You're kind of providing this whole kind of, uh, the the back end platform and also the front end, uh, maybe even the kind of marketing side of it, they need to, don't need to worry about that. They go, hey, we're on this. Go and speak to, you know, uh, uh, on scale uh, around simulating this stuff. Yeah, it's just um, that's exactly right. Yeah, and um, you know, we don't want users to, you know, I think I think a really important component of democratizing simulation and uh, computer aided engineering. And making all this work is it has to be a good user experience, mm. you know, and, and it's a really big goal for us to avoid a lot of the uh, frustrations and headaches and challenges that have traditionally been associated with um, computer simulation. Sure. Um, so that's, you know, that's, that's a big part of the development for us is mm. to figure out how to provide a good user experience. And it's not like, uh, you know, this is, this is scientific computing. And so, you know, it goes deeper than, let's say, making sure that, um, you know, that, that, ban that the banking software is, is working correctly, right? Not to say that that was an easy job and that there aren't a lot of, you know, very complex database problems to solve and so on. But at some point, you know, the UI sort of com comes down to making sure that like, you know, all the right features are there for the user to select and, um, yeah. You know that it's reasonably responsive and you know secure and all that kind of stuff but when you're dealing with scientific computing um you, you know anytime time the user wants to submit a simulation there's like a huge number of workflow steps that have to be executed in the background all of right. which need to work and you know that's been been a really important part of of the challenge and i think where we've been able to uh, start having some success is in hiding a lot of those complexities uh, from the user so that they don't need to worry about it. They're not necessarily aware of all of the crazy things happening in the background. <laughs> yeah. You know, the sophisticated users who are experts in simulation, yeah. they know the things that we must be doing somewhere, you know, on the back end. Yes. And hopefully they'll just be sort of delighted that like they're not being burdened with, you know, having to, work all these things out in exactly the right way in order to get the simulation to run. Yeah, beautiful. It's um, it's kind of taking away a headache for them. Um, I, it kind of reminds me of uh, some of the, uh, coming from a, 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 I'm a geek as well, or an ex-geek, uh, de-geeked geek. Um, um, one of the things that uh, I remember when we were you know, doing kind of programming, there were platforms that allowed you to kind of focus more on the problem domain as opposed to the writing the code domain, you know, there's some kind of auto code generation. So for example, state machines and what have you. And I guess it's similar kind of thing. Yes, you want to do a state machine, but you don't need to worry about how you write that. We've got this great app here, that kind of old platform that allows you to think more of where the solution is going to be found as opposed to setting this stuff up, you know? Uh, so the Absolutely. speed, yeah. So the speed at which you're going to getting uh, these, um, you know, customers, clients to, 
to working out what they want to work out quicker, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. You know, we want um, designers and engineers using our platform to be able to focus on the problem they're trying to solve. Yes. You know, if you're, uh, you know, if you're designing a bicycle frame, you know, you, you probably know a lot about what you want that frame to look like, what the uh, performance requirements are, um, you know, what some of the trade-offs are going to yeah. be around that design. And we want you to be able to just, you know, bring in the, uh, the geometry of the, you know, frame that, that you've designed and very easily set up uh, the conditions that you want to test it on and then hit submit and like, mm. and then move on to your next project or get a cup of coffee, you know, <laughs> go to sleep, whatever it is you're going to do, come back. And, you know, the analysis uh, is ready for you to interrogate yeah. in a way that is straightforward and not frustrating. Yeah. And yeah. You don't have to worry about, you know, um, what was the computational mesh that was used to, um, you know, to perform the simulation and how many, you know, what type of, uh, you know, compute instances were used on the, you know, on the cloud platform. Uh, you know, how many cores did they have? How much memory got used? Um, all those things, you know, we don't want the user to have to worry about. They're handled automatically. I find this area fascinating because, so as a tech leader, um, what, how are you solving this kind of user experience uh, thing? Because, I mean, you kind of are the, you kind of understand what these users want. But how are you kind of getting that feedback loop to really design that platform to be the thing? Yeah, I mean, great question. So I think, um, so at the moment, you know, we, um, we've just released a, a limited uh, release beta. Yeah. So that's the phase that we're in. Um, we ho we're hoping to go to uh, a wide beta um, in August. And so far, you know, we've really had to rely on our own kind of engineering wits and you know some sort of uh, you know friendly um, you know uh, users that we pull into focused user testing sessions and you know set them up with the workflow and explore you know what's working what's not working um, you know fortunately at OnScale uh, we have a product development team but we also have what we call the engineering team that is really a group of application engineers that understand mm. the engineering uh, domains that we are addressing. Uh, and they've used other software, you know, they've solved real world problems, you know, for many years within their areas of expertise. Um, and I kind of count as one of those because I worked in computational fluid dynamics sure. for many years. And I'm really familiar with the kinds of problems that, you know, users would have in uh, successfully setting up and executing simulations. So we've re relied a lot on kind of our own passion, our own vision, and our own understanding um, of the of the domain to recognize where you know we can make big usability improvements um, to what's what's been out there so far, or you know at least make sure that um, we're really thinking through mm. you know the user experience and. Um, what the user, what's going to provide a delightful yes, that's know, right. uh, process for the user. However, um, I think it would be, it would be foolish to think that we really can figure everything out just by ourselves. So uh, one of the things I've been doing is really pushing the team, you know, sometimes we're kind of our own worst critics, I think. And, you know, we feel like the product's never ready. It's never good enough. Everyone's going to hate it. <laughs> and I've been pushing the team to, you know, 
to, to take a leap of faith and have some confidence and get, you know, our product out to market so that we can collect real user feedback yes. and, and, and get a much uh, broader set of opinions and, and feelings about, um, what's working well, you know, what needs to be better mm. and sure, you know, we know stuff is missing and that's fine, but we can figure out then we can get real data on what are the most important things that are missing yes. and that can help you know, uh, uh, inform us as to what the priorities should be to add in, you know, the next set of features. And, you know, is there something that we really missed mm. and we better like hurry up and fix about our workflow, you know, that we thought everything was great, but like there's a bunch of users that are struggling with this one aspect of it. Yeah. So I think um, that's just so important, you know, yeah, to yeah. experiment, uh, you know, test what you've got and then improve, mm. you know, and iterate. Yes. Test and improve. And I'm really excited to finally be embarking now. You know, we just uh, uh, last week launched our limited beta, you know, and now we can start collecting um, some real user feedback. I'm super excited for the wide beta. Yeah. You know, I know that like some of the feedback will be negative. Yeah. Some of it will be positive. <laughs> you know, I'm prepared for, you know, whatever will come. Yeah. And, you know, it's everything is just going to allow us to continue to make our product better brilliant um, and that's that's how we're approaching yeah um, and, and so today. just i'm just kind of putting myself in the client shoes i mean uh, it's interesting because uh, i i'm a great i'm a great feedback giver giver you know uh, whatever mm -hmm. application i use i always like to kind of home in on there give us some feedback you know uh, and it's interesting actually because uh, there's a tool i love to use uh, um, this isn't intended as a plug for them, but Lucid Charts, there was a particular use case that they'd missed, I believe, and I had a chat with them about it. And actually, I got in, they, they were really good. The salesperson came on, I had a developer kind of come on and have a chat with me really quickly, uh, try to understand what the hell I was trying to do. And it turned out it was a very minor use case. Not a, pe a lot of people were seeing it. Um, but this is where I think, you know, the approach that you're taking as a tech leader to really listen uh, and allow them to have that voice. I think that makes a huge difference. It also it creates a relationship with the with your kind of uh, uh, client base as well. I guess you know. So uh, you know, we really want to build a, a brand yeah. where users come to associate on scale with, you know, a good user experience and, you know, a product team that uh, really cares yes. about, you know, their feedback and making the experience great. Um, you know, dealing with edge cases, you know, sometimes they're referred to, when you have something that happens just once in a while, uh, people call it an edge case. Um, but, you know, we don't want to just forget about those. Mm. You know, we, we want to make sure that they're on the radar and, and that we deal with them yes. um, in a good way and, and just keep, you know, attacking and addressing um, as many of those as as we can get our arms around, you know, as quickly as possible. Sure. So, so as a tech leader, kind of off offline uh, before the call, we talked around uh, the place in which kind of tech leaders like yourself have within the organisation. Obviously, this is a tech product or a, a tech platform that you're creating. Um, and um, do, how do you find um, trying to get people on board? Um, understanding being customer centric i think that's what i'm trying to say really badly uh how do you find that quite a difficult thing to kind of get people to really think about the, the customer and their experience um, yeah everybody's different so there's a spectrum and i think for some people it comes very naturally and for others you know it does require some coaching 
And I think it does require a fair amount of, of, of sort of coaching and leadership to really get the sort of the team mind mm. um, to to be customer centric. And it has to be part of your culture. Yeah. And so I think it is a really important part of the CTO's role to bring a, a customer centric centric yes. culture. You know, obviously the, the CEO uh, has responsibility for that as well. You know, but the CTO has to really reinforce it and make sure that when they're setting the priorities for technical development, yeah, you know, it's not just around solving, you know, the coolest problem or the most interesting innovation. Yeah, um, it needs to really um, address, you know, what's going to be most important to the customer and the user experience. Make sure we tackle those things, mm. you know, head on. Uh, sometimes, though, you know, what's really fun is that that sometimes it does require a lot of innovation to figure out you know, how you're going to deal with something that's always been a big customer headache and find some novel way to, you know, reduce that pain or, or, or eliminate it. Mm. Uh, you know, that's really fun. But I, I, I think, yeah, you know, an important, such an important part of the role is um, to always be reminding the team about, you know, user experience and, um, you know, identifying and being sensitive to um, issues that have a big impact there. So for example, if something does go wrong, is there, you know, a message, a warning or an error message that we can get back to the user, um, that would be helpful. Mm. Uh, and actually, you know, in, in, in the computer simulation game, it's, it's, it's nearly impossible to ensure that everything will always work. Mm. So, so then, so what do you do? You know, um, you can't just throw up your hands. You have to say, okay, then our philosophy is if something doesn't work, we need to give the user any actionable information we can about what they can do to progress. Mm. Is there something they need to go back and change about their input? Yes. You know, uh, or about the, the, the problem that they're trying to solve. And can we do that automatically? Can, do, can we do that within the product? Yeah. So that, you know, they don't have to wait for a phone call or, you know, um, you know, somehow uh, go investigate it and research it themselves. Yes. Can we at least point them in the right direction? That's right. I think we really have uh, an obligation to do everything we can um, to make that part of a good user experience. Yeah, I love that. I, I, I kind of, I'm thinking of cases in the past where you get some kind of absurd error and you have no idea why that was, where it fell over, and then you kind of go through this whole kind of rigmarole of trying to figure it out. Um, so Jay, just giving people information as to where things are, where the progress was, yep. where did it stop, where did it, what is it you can do next, you know, uh, and make exactly. that as easy as possible. So I love that. Um, so from, mm -hmm. again, from a kind of tech leader's perspective, you talked about uh, making sure that your team, teams, um, and, and, and maybe even the kind of business leadership understand the kind of user experience and how important it is. How do you go about making sure that is always aligning to the kind of current vision and the user user's experience? Um, yeah, it's interesting. You know, one of the things that uh, I noticed um, is that, you know, there can be a tendency for teams to really focus on, you know, their own uh, component of the software and you know, making sure that all their unit tests are passing, mm. um, and that sort of thing. So, so one of the things that uh, you know we really have to pay attention to is complete workflow testing. Yeah, and make sure that you don't have problems, you know, sort of at the gaps between the different software components. Mm. And um, you know, computer simulation it, it actually consists of a lot of, of different components. Yeah. Um, 
you know, the way we've set it up, uh, you know, it's essentially like this, this collection of microservices that makes the system very powerful and very flexible. But the, 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 the caveat and what you have to be careful of is that, you know, there's good coordination between those microservices. And sometimes, you know, it isn't, if, if something fails, it's not, you know, one service's fault or the other. It actually has to do with a mm. disconnect between them that one service assumed one thing, the other service assumed another thing, right? And the teams associated that are responsible for the, each of those services, mm. you know, were making those assumptions, but the communication didn't really quite happen to make sure that things are coordinated. And, uh, you know, I, so I find that to be a really important part of the role is, you know, inter-team communication. Uh, the intra-team communication, you know, within the team is is great. You know, mm. um, people really have a great understanding of what they're working on and what the goals are and what they're trying to do. But, you know, you always have to really be paying close attention to the inter-team communication and make sure, sure there aren't disconnects and breakdowns and and so on. And you know, once once you start doing full workflow testing, you will discover mm. all kinds of things that you just <laughs> would never find from yeah. from the unit tests. And, you know, experienced leaders of technology software are well aware of that. You know, yeah. I'm not saying anything groundbreaking there, but yeah, the certainly, you know, um, bringing a new product to the market, uh, again, has reminded me, you know, of how important Yes. that part of the role is yeah uh, and making sure that you know um you know that you keep it positive and you, you want to always assume at all times that you know everybody uh has you know their heart and 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 their soul you know invested in mm. making things work well and so you know when something's broken you know it's really important to pull teams together and just sort through it you yeah. know systematically and, and rationally and you know, and with the mindset that like, um, you know, the, you know, disconnects will happen. Yes. Right. And all we can do is just, uh, do our best to test everything as much, much as possible, you know, do all that full workflow testing across the, the full range of use cases and, you know, go find those places where things are breaking and, mm. uh, you know, figure out together, right. How we're going to, um, fix them and, and make everything work. That's properly. right. It's kind of uh, managing the boundaries. I mean, this is a, again, coming back to the kind of uh, agile business agility piece. It's, um, you know, the, as, as you described the teams, um, you know, there's been a lot of development around how teams work well internally, intra team. Uh, but it's that kind of crossing those between teams, uh, clearing assumptions, uh, uh, making sure that um, people have all the information that they need, what the ideal outcome is. It's not just about the output. I love, I love the concept of talking about outputs and outcomes. You know, what is it we're actually ultimately trying to achieve here? Yeah, so that, yeah. that's great. And and so from you know, we kind of talked earlier on around the kind of. Um, I mean, Agile is quite a big part of what IT labs do uh, in terms of the way we configure teams and the business agility piece as well. Um, so in terms of the kind of product development, tech development, um, and, and being the tech leader, uh, you know, the, what's, the, um, what's the kind of leadership style and the kind of way you've got your team set up? Um, so we, uh, we have teams associated with, you know, each major component of the product. And, um, you know, those teams, you know, sort of have their own scrums and, and sprints and meetings. And then we have, uh, 
you know, several times a week, we have different combinations of teams that come together yeah. in order to sort of form those connections. And, uh, you know, I, I sort of think of uh, an organization in terms of graph theory, where, right. you know, you sort of have nodes and you have links between the nodes, you know, and, and if you look within a team, you know, you have this very concentrated set of, you know, links and nodes, right? Imagine each person as a node and then you know, tons of communication. But then if you look between teams, you know, uh, you have sort of a, each team is sort of a super node, you know, a collection of nodes. Mm. You know, what are the connections between each of those, uh, you know, super nodes? And uh, I, I, this is not a new idea. I think people have probably studied the graph theory of organizations, mm. you know, including and, and uh, corporations and so on. And, you know, there may be very sophisticated theories, you know, I don't know, but somehow that, that's just the sort of the visual that pops into my head. And I'm always trying to make sure that like, I've kind of got the right links set up, you know, between the different pairs of teams, or even sometimes, um, you know, more than two teams need to come together. Yeah. Maybe you're sending representatives from the different teams. So, um, you know, so we'll have um, team sprints, uh, you know, and, and we follow sort of a traditional agile mm. um, philosophy on, you know, trying to set those up in such a way that people have things that can be, you know, completed within a week. Yeah. Um, cool. You know, maybe, maybe two weeks if it's a big sprint and, mm. and a big item, you know, and, you know, everything's being reviewed and, and, and managed and, you know, there's check-ins and mm. discussion on those sprints, you know, at the sprint review. Yeah. Um, and, and that sort of thing. So, you know, we certainly do all of that kind of um, intra-team. And then, you know, we, between teams, uh, we have a few different things. One of them is just this kind of free form, you know, pull people together um, from, you know, a few representatives from each team across the entire product team. So you get this group of, you know, eight, nine, 10 people together twice a week to just talk through any issues, roadblocks, concerns, like basically unstructured, um, and, you know, you can come to the meeting. Sometimes I go to that meeting with a few agenda items, right. That I've already thought about. Yeah. But it's also, we also want to leave a little time for kind of unstructured discussion, Love it. Yeah. You know, but not too much. Okay. Can't drag <laughs> on for hours. Yeah. You know, we, we meet for an hour. Right. Yeah. And usually there's 20, 30 minutes of kind of stuff that people came to the meeting, you know, uh, have had already thought through, they want to talk about. And then usually, you know, there's another half hour uh, where we just kind of get into some topic and kind of talk things through a little free form. And I, I, it's great. You know, mm -hmm. a, a lot of good stuff comes out of that. Yeah. Uh, and especially, you know, right now working remotely, you know, it's a little bit the equivalent of, um, you know, water cooler talk. Beautiful. Uh, just a chance to bounce ideas off each other, you know, share, you know, interesting, like, you know, small victories or small frustrations or whatever. Yes. Um, so I think that's really important. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, we, uh, we have a few different combinations of those kinds of things going on between, you know, yes. uh, different sets of teams. I love, I love that idea of unstructured, um, unstructured meetings where, or parts of meetings which are unstructured because it allows things to emerge that maybe not wouldn't otherwise, you know, uh, it's giving that space for, those in between conversations, and and again, I love that idea of trying to create water cool moments in on Zoom, you know, on on yeah. Teams, you know. Um, exactly. Um, exactly. Interesting. A, a few kind of uh, IC Labs as well. We have we have our kind of regular meetings, but then we'll kind of have a chat, you know, kind of thing. Um, 
but one of the things that I, I find interesting from that kind of not to make things too structured and when these different teams come together is is that um, I, I imagine that some really valued conversations do come out of those, you know, uh, that you didn't expect. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and, and people do a pretty good job, too, of, you know, capturing those results and, you know, putting them in, a, in an appropriate place, um, you know, in terms of our, our tools that we use for, you know, sharing information. Um, everybody's really responsible about that. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I, I think it, it, it is really effective. You know, it doesn't just get kind of lost into the ether. Yeah. You know, we make sure to create action items and, and come back on those and, and uh, follow up and so on. You know, one thing I try to reinforce a lot is that, you know, no matter which team you're on, um, if at the end of, you know, if somebody's trying to set up and run a simulation, until the results of that simulation are generated and are good and correct, you know, it's a kind of everybody's problem. Yes. You know, I don't care if you are responsible for the computational mesh algorithm or the simulation solver algorithm or the, you know, uh, post-processing user interface, um, right? Doesn't matter, you know, everybody should care about whether those results that were generated are meaningful and useful to the end user. And I, I think I think that's been achieved. I think that that right. is you know, uh, an important part of the culture here, but it does require, you know, it does require some leadership. It does require some reinforcing and sometimes you know, reminding people that, yeah, you know, that wasn't exactly, it's not that, you know, such and such happened and yeah, it's not exactly your fault or anything like that, but you still should care. Mm -hmm. And like, if you have an idea, you know, or some way that, you know, whatever you're doing could contribute to helping to ensure that some downstream process, you know, doesn't fail, you know, that's really important. Yeah. Right? Make sure you're paying attention to that. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, understandably, people can get caught up in, you know, making sure that, like, you know, their stuff is working, and as long as my stuff is working, you yeah. know, to the specs that I was given, then I've done my job. Yeah. Well, people might give you specs that hadn't fully thought everything through and weren't completely 100% correct, and you should still care about that. Mm. You know, if, 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 if the result is that somebody missed something in what they told you to do, and that ended up in the wrong result. <laughs> yes, yeah. Right? You should still care and we should all care. So, yeah. you know, it may sound corny but uh, or, or cliche, but it turns out that, you know, in practice, that is still a very real and important part of, you know, technology leadership. Um, just, I find myself just kind of, you know, filling the cracks. I spend a lot of time filling the cracks and kind of chasing people down to say, hey, you know, Check, check out this issue that we're having over here. You know, what do you think we should do about that? Wow. And, uh, you know, it's really important to me to always challenge people to, um, you know, not, not to try to give them the solution, right? What I think is the solution that, by the way, would, would be wrong 75% of the time anyway, but to really do a good job of identifying the issue mm -hmm. as clearly as possible and then challenging them with what they think the solution could be or should be whether it's their domain or, or not, I'm interested in hearing what people think the solution is. Because you, know, you get a few people together and um, they're gonna figure it out, yeah. right? Once we, you get two, three people together, you know, four or five people, you talk it through, you're gonna figure out the right solution. But everybody should, should be contributing to that discussion um, and challenging each other with yeah. what the right 
solution is without, uh, you know, being too overbearing about what their, you know, opinion about it is right from the get-go. Yes. Um, so that's, I, I think, a really important part of providing a good culture and, and solving problems in a, in a good way. Yes. I think that's great advice for, for leaders out there to to uh, create that culture of collective ownership. Um, you know, we, as you say, it's a cliche, um, you know, it's about the team, it's not about the individuals, but um, to, to develop that culture is, is a constant effort uh, from tech leaders like your kind stuff. And it sounds like, you know, you've, you've kind of got it in your bones and you're, you're doing that and, uh, and the results are kind of showing themselves, you know. Uh, That's probably, you know, it's one of my favorite parts of, you know, of the leadership role is to see, you know, um, a good culture take hold. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of feeds on itself because people see that other people are doing that. And then they realize, oh yeah, you know, Yes, that's what I want to be doing too. Yes, it's um, it reminds me of uh, something I, I was discussing earlier this week around learning to learn. You know, if you teach somebody to learn better, you know, the, the kind of layer below learning, um, that then has uh, constant, uh, endless repercussions uh, on on the learning. You know, uh, and again, it's that you know shifting the culture in a way that the culture kind of feeds and and enhances itself. You know. Yeah. So what I was going to mention was that, um, you know, coming back to your, your platform, uh, this kind of product you've created, I would love to see a graph that shows you the old way of doing simulations and, the, you know, the, the kind of the whole flow and, 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 the, and the bits that the end customer doesn't need to worry about anymore. I don't know if that's something that you've created, but I've got this kind of visual in my head of lots of crosses in, in parts of the flow, you know, and mm. yeah. That's a great idea. I, I wish I had that graph handy. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't exactly have a graph like that. Uh, it would, you know, it would sort of look like all these, you know, sort of um, individual process components that users would have to worry about and deal with. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and then sort of our version of that, you know, where if those are all abstracted away. Yeah. User, you know, only needs to show up with, um, you know, the key pieces of information that they should be responsible for. Yeah. And, you know, and not all of the uh, numerical algorithm expertise and, you know, high performance computing expertise, right? Yeah. All that would, would you know, yeah. be abstracted away in this lovely visual yeah, yeah. Know, representation of that. that don't I need to worry about that. You don't need to worry about that. And do you think you need to worry about that? No, you don't, you know, kind of thing. So that, yeah. that's excellent. And and, it, and it's great to kind of uh, hear your um, story of, you know, the way in which you're kind of leading this. Because again, um, I, I, the discussion we had offline was around uh, the kind of leadership aspect of organizations, um, because it's not all about technology. At the end of the day, it's about people as well, you know? Yes, you know? very much. And um, so in terms of uh, the, the takeaway that you'd like to leave with the kind of tech community out there, the, the tech leaders and aspiring tech leaders, what would be your... Um, advice to them um you know i i think uh i think it's really important to you know to dream big and to have a a, a bold vision but you know to make sure you have a a plan that consists of kind of incremental wins you know um it's going to be you know it's just so difficult to uh, go after you, you know uh, the big prize right away you know you want to set up a, a a, uh, an achievable, you know, development path that gets you some milestones and some wins along the way, um, you know, that feed into the business plan, you know, or the brand that you're trying to build, um, 
you know, whatever it is that, you know, that are the, the company goals. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, uh, our CEO is, is, is excellent at painting, you know, sort of the, the, the big picture vision and, uh, you know, goals that the company aspires to and, you know, they're exactly the right ones. You know, we're, we're fully aligned on, on those in terms yeah. of what I described the on scales mission. Um, but I know that, you know, he really relies on me as CTO to make sure that, you know, we really have a strong product and technology plan to, you know, then go achieve those goals. And that that plan consists of, you know, measurable milestones and that we can actually measure ourselves, you know, Hey, if we're, if we're setting a target date, you know, for, for a certain milestone, um, and we're missing it, you know, let's understand why, what happened and how do we improve? How do we get better? Um, and you know, let's set up some really good and some, some smart milestones along the way. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, I think that's an important part of the, of the CEO CTO, um, relationship and, and part of, you know, what the CTO needs to bring to the organization. And then of course there's people, you know, I mean, I, I think in this industry and, and, you know, and, and these times, I think it's important to, um, inspire people by challenging them. Uh, you know, when somebody comes to me with a problem, um, they, they know after a while, once you get to know me, um, you can come to me with a problem anytime, but you need to also come with a proposed solution. Mm. Okay. So I will require that. Uh, and, and, uh, it doesn't have to be, you know, the right solution, you know, we may end up doing something else, but you have to have at least thought through what are some potential solutions to this problem. And then we'll talk together about, you know, either which one of those is the right solution or how to figure out which one of those is the right solution. Beautiful. Because, you know, each individual needs to feel empowered to um, be able to, you know, think through the goals that they're trying to achieve. You know, what are the roadblocks and what are some solutions to those roadblocks? And, you know, I want them thinking all the time about how to make the technology better. Are we, you know, setting the right milestones um, and, you know, really be collaborating in setting their individual goals as well as the overall team goals. Beautiful. Um, and I think, uh, you know, um, technology is, uh, is a lot of fun. You know, it's full of, of promise and full of challenge. And, you know, <laughs> I've had a lot of wins and a lot of, <laughs> you know, big challenges in, in my career so far, you know, spanning, I guess about 25 years now, um, you know, maybe 15 of that in a leadership role. And I would just say, you know, there've been times when I really thought, you know, we were in big, big trouble. Um, but you know, somehow we were able to come together and like figure out, um, you know, how to, how to get through and, uh, Oh, I have a visitor. Hello. This is my, this is my cat, Chewy. Oh. Uh, you know, how to get through those, those, uh, challenge situations. You have to be prepared to come together as a team. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think it's also super important to really celebrate, you know, the wins. I mean, the big wins, the small wins, you know, um, make sure that people, you know, feel valued Yes. and, um, and make sure to, you know, have, you know, as much as possible, um, you know, have those kind of one-on-one -on -one check ins. Mm and make sure that you're using those as opportunities to um, find out what people are concerned about and make sure that they feel valued. Yes, And of course, right. you know, if, 
if, if there's a performance issue, you know, you can't dance around it. You have to let them know, you know, honestly and, and fairly um, that you're concerned about something that didn't happen. Um, but you always want to express, you know, confidence that yeah. they're going to uh, rise to the occasion. Beautiful. I, I love what you say there around uh, uh, having people to bring um, solutions as well as the problems to you. Because uh, in a way, you're kind of encourage them to one uh, uh, practice their voice uh, as, as people as part of the team and, and and also to kind of take a leadership role in their own right I um, it's, again it's that kind of bleeding leadership into the into the organization so that you know decisions can be made more locally to the to the problems as opposed to always having to come to you the big bottleneck within the organization potentially you know um, uh, but that's great I, I mean it's been fascinating um, speaking to you David and uh, I'm really looking forward to kind of seeing this platform, this platform, and the, and the and the solution you made, and and the and the idea of these apps, you know, to kind of uh, yes. create uh, these simulations. You know, um, I, I'm not into simulations, but I might even give it a go myself. You know, I don't That's know what awesome. I'm going to simulate. <laughs> We're going to get you uh, signed up on the uh, on the beta, and uh, we'll <laughs> have a run at it. Brilliant, excellent. So, thank you very much, David. Uh, um, thank you for offering your time, and uh, I look forward to seeing the success of your company, OneScale, um, and and obviously your career as well. That's brilliant. Thank you, sir. Yeah, thank you so much, TC. It was really a pleasure. It was great speaking to David. There were aspects of that conversation that really resonated with me. Firstly, I loved how he has led himself on his own career from researching disposal of nuclear waste, of all things, to being a CTO of a startup, creating some pretty groundbreaking disruption in a niche market. Seriously, from chemical engineering, physics, to self-confessed tech leader geek, leading a team of people to create very useful, disruptive platforms. One that I can see highly useful for many small and medium-sized businesses out there. Secondly, his inspiring statements to do what you love, dream big and have a bold vision, break up the journey into small milestones or wins that create a sense of progress, very much like the agile on a large scale, delivering value to the end customer sooner and more often. And on the subject of creating a vision, paint a good picture of that vision so that people can really understand it, resonate with it, see it and want to achieve it with you. And finally, create novel solutions that can bring historically expensive, out-of-reach capabilities to the masses by being bold, creative, cost-reducing and bringing those ideas to the masses. Thank you, David, for your time and good luck to you and on scale for the future. My fingers and toes are crossed for your continuing success. And remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions Podcast and IT Labs newsletter, where you get regular tech articles and invites to IT Labs webinar series. URLs to do that can be found on this page. We are consistently creating material to create, support and nurture a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about IT Labs services, the services that we provide, including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like tech leaders, favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off-the-shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. Well, that's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. Wishing you all a great day or evening, wherever you are in the world. From everyone here at IT Labs, the whole team, 
We wish you to live well and prosper until we meet again on the next podcast.